and welcome to Everything Trying to Kill You, the podcast that both lovingly and viciously skewers and unspools your favorite horror movies. That is some I'm visceral Mary. verbiage, Mary. I'm Mary Kay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Rachel. <laughs> oh man, I like the idea of unspooling. That's such an ominous word, even if it's not. Like, there's nothing ominous about us talking about a movie, but it feels... I picture it's... the magic carpet unraveling when Jafar becomes that evil genie. Mm-hmm. When I hear the word unspool, even though that's not the when line, I, but yeah. Now that I look at it, when I see skewer and unspool, I immediately think of like the, the spinning wheel in Sleeping Beauty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now that I look at it. Um, so I want to say firstly... Um, because of when this episode is airing, happy birthday to my mom. She will never listen to this show or know that I said that. And happy birthday to my mom, who will also never listen to this show. <laughs> never know that I said it. <laughs> Libra. Oh, my mom's a Scorpio. What? Oh. Oh, my mom's is the 13th, so Libra. Oh, so hers was just, yeah, you ain't told me to call Raylene yesterday. Oh my God. Sorry. I'm going um, to tell Rachel, her that means your birthday's coming up too, right? No? What is her face right now? Is it today? I stopped, te- it yes? I stopped telling people that. I know you're a Scorpio. What day is it? That's, I, I stopped telling people that. This isn't people, Rachel. It's <laughs> us. <laughs> These are the hotties from the Black Lagoon. You can tell us. It's not today because she's not it's- a Libra. Yeah. That made my heart do an elevator drop that I thought I missed your birthday. I was going to be so upset. Okay, I'm going to do some detective work. I will find out, and I will let Mary and our listeners know. Don't, don't you do that. I remember you had a Halloween birthday party, so I know it's close to Halloween. So we are well into Halloween season now. Mary, tell us what we're going to talk about on this episode. Today, we are discussing Jairo Bustamante's 2019 slow burn, La Llorona, not The Curse of, just La Llorona. So if you watched the wrong one, just pause here, check it out, and then listen, because we will spoil the living hell out of this for you. Yeah, and if y'all um, um, my... haven't watched it yet, it's available on Shudder, and mm-hmm. it's a tight 90 minutes. I thought it was great. And I think that it's if you real. haven't seen it, you'll want to see it. It's very good. It's just if you've seen yeah. if you've seen Curse of or any other Yorona movie, uh, don't. It's not the same. It's not like you've read the book and you'll be fine. Like, it's not the same at all. Very different. Um, so, yeah, uh, we're gonna ruin it. So watch it. Also, uh, hey, heads up, guys. If anyone uses Apple, uh, an Apple TV or has an Apple TV channel and stuff, I noticed today that the AMC Plus package includes Shudder mm-hmm. and AMC and something else, maybe Stars or Showtime or something to that effect. And um, it was only like eight bucks a month or something stupid. So I just wanted to throw We're, that out there. They're not even paying us to tell you this. We just love no, deals. No. And we love no, horror movies. I'm, share, I'm sharing it because I got that package immediately because I'm always on the lookout for stuff like that since we watch movies for a living. Um, so I'm always looking for a good deal so that it's minimally impossible to find the stuff we actually want to watch. Yeah, and it's also the Halloween season and 
if you're listening to us and you don't have Shudder, then what are you doing? Treat yourself. Treat yourself. My mama's birthday is Treat Yourself Day. By the way, <laughs> October oh, yeah. 13th. Your mom, already, your mom already responded. She said, Haha, it's okay, sweetie. I'm not counting anyway. Thank you. Yay. Wonderful. Well, now that I've, <laughs> you know, paid my official respects. She's not dead. Damn. I was going to say to the real boss. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Our icebreaker for today, because as usual, you know, we're really stilted when we get together. Um, Which which folklore story would you least like to wake up and find yourself living? So I say folklore, like American folklore, let's be real, is not always, you know, ancient and, and scary. Sometimes it's like, there's a hairy creature in the woods that's really large. Sometimes it's Paul Bunyan, which to be fair, I I don't want to hang out with a giant blue ox, actually. So, Rachel, do you want to go first? Sure. I chose the legend of Sleepy Hollow, you know, with the headless horseman. And yeah. If you remember, like, the kid version, he had, like, a pumpkin head and shit. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't like being chased. That's why I like movies <laughs> like It Follows scares me the most. But also, you know, mm-hmm. Meredith Palmer, she said, yeah, I have this thing about men cutting or threatening to cut my throat. <laughs> don't try to cut my throat. <laughs> Yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> Who wants to be wants their throat to be cut? Well, I need I to go it. next then. I need to go next then because that was also my choice, but for very different reasons. Okay. I had sort of a traumatic coming of age experience around that movie in that I went from having zero breasts to a bunch of them really suddenly, and I didn't super notice because I don't know, it was my body. Like I they were attached to me. I don't know, you know? I just continued wearing my training bras or whatever the hell I was doing. And we watched that in school right before Halloween in the sixth grade. This blonde girl, she's real buxom. So we're in class and we're watching. And uh, when she comes on screen and she's like flitting about with her cleavage, one of the guys in class was like, look, it's Mary. And then that's all anyone joked about for like two weeks. And I was... First of all, I was just kind of mystified because obviously that's not what I looked like. I was a sixth grader. It was just such an unpleasant experience. Yeah. Just such an unpleasant experience that didn't really wind down for several years until like everyone else filled out too. So that one, that one has some negative associations for me. It doesn't actually have anything to do with the story. I'm fine with Pumpkinhead Dude otherwise, I guess, realistically. So... You know, what I really, I guess what I'd really hate is whatever folklore involves people pointing at your breasts and laughing. Yeah. Okay. So that's the one. That's the one. <laughs> that's fair. I don't want. My, the one I picked is an urban legend, also American, about um, the woman getting in her car at the gas station and someone being in the back seat and uh, the trucker behind her uh, continuing to flash his lights. That is the one I would want the least. That story is still terrifying to me i hate it and it's yeah. so plausible <laughs> yeah. whatever i get in my car like in the parking lot after work whatever you know 
and I see other people from work get in their cars and they're just like chilling in their car for a moment, picking out their music, doing whatever. I'm like, nah, that's for the first stoplight, honey. You get in your car and you leave. You get in your car, you lock the doors and you leave. Mary Kay, wasn't that also, didn't they do a version of that in the Twilight Zone? I don't know. That would be terrifying. I'm pretty sure they did. Um, I didn't get to watch the whole season. Not the new one. Oh. The old one. This young woman, she gets, and she's, she's driving cross country and somebody keep, she keeps seeing somebody following her. Mm. And Mm -mm -mm. so she keeps stopping at a gas station or something like that. Viewers, Mm -mm. you can correct me if I'm wrong. I can't remember. But the plot was that she had already been dead. Or something. Like she had, like, no. Yeah, something like I that. Say, I don't remember. I, I would say that. no spoilers, but it's been out for like 15 years. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so viewers, if you're a Twilight, like an old Twilight fan, like my my dad definitely is, and made me watch it all, which I don't hate. I, I just can't say I'm a super fan because I don't even remember the episode. You can correct me and tell me which episode it is and what happened. I did love Twilight Zone and Hitchcock Show. Man, I loved that shit. Yeah, they're awesome. Mm-hmm. So, okay. How about La Llorona, which does, like, the, the title itself and uh, the, the, the story of La Llorona is, like, a, a springboard for the premise here. It's not even quite the premise of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really, it, it's kind of an interesting, it's more of a lens, a point of entry mm-hmm. to the narrative of this story. Mm-hmm. How scary is this interpretation of that folklore? Is it scary? That's um, the how about the opening fucking credits with the old woman chanting the conjure prayer with conjunctivitis? I mean, Hate as that. much as that upset me, I was also like, this is fashion oh it's gorgeous and horrifying yeah that like that woman though every time like she like we'd see her all undone and then she'd like put herself together and she came out and you were like oh my god yeah she had a visual range i I don't have the i don't have the range i can't my range does not extend to that degree (laughs) of like gorgeous put togetherness in the first place I definitely can get all undone, but I, I don't think I can ever. Like, as upsetting as that opening image was, I was still just like, is she the most beautiful person I've ever seen? Yeah, but, that is very also, picturesque. With how intense she was and how unflinching she was, and for so long, that's what intimidated the fuck out of me. Un- unflinching is the perfect word. Yeah. I did it, guys. I did it. (laughs) She was the worst until almost, until the movie was almost over. Like, Mm -hmm. everything that came out out of her mouth made me hate her. Yeah. Even though her situation sucked, so it was, like, happening at her, but still, she, mm mm-mm. Well, that kind of, that kind of leads into the thing that was most upsetting for me, or the thing that stuck with me. The movie, this is not like a jump scare movie. This is not Mm -hmm. a like hold your breath movie. This is real slow burn. And yet I found myself thinking a lot about accountability. I mean, I think that's a lot of the, one of the major themes on this movie is who, 
what does it mean to hold somebody accountable? What does it mean to be accountable for your actions? And what does it mean to be accountable for your actions if your intent, to, like if you're, when your intent becomes irrelevant, you know? This woman's intent was stand by your man, think the best of him, like do your best. Well, I don't know, the, the I don't end, know her, her situation, what, what it would have been outside of her marriage. So I'm not sure that mm. she had a lot of feasible options that didn't render her homeless. Exactly. So less of a, maybe less of a stand by your man and more of a preserve your children's livelihood because her daughter's a doctor. I mean, that's not nothing. Whether it was, whether it was genuine love for him or dedication to him or it never occurred, like I, I would certainly believe that it never occurred to her to even interrogate how she actually felt about him. She was married. That was it. That, that was, this is it. This is now a permanent state. Whether she was willfully ignorant, whether she deliberately ignored signs that this is the man he was, or she could not possibly have fully understood that, but her behavior by supporting him and by encouraging him and by, you know, standing by him through all of this, you know, makes her complicit. Like I, I thought about a lot, I thought about, I thought about that with his, um, his declining cognition, you know? They, they say he has Alzheimer's and I thought, God, like the man you need to punish isn't, is he there? Is he there anymore? Like, is he, if this person can't even understand what they're being held accountable, that moment in court where he says, I don't know why I'm here. And you see the lawyer panic because they don't know if he's saying it in like a brash, like I shouldn't be here in the first place. Or, or if he's, he's about to say like more to reveal that he actually doesn't know where he is. Or what they're talking about. Like, at what point do you like kind of like cross a, a hill into a different kind of monstrousness by punishing somebody who can't? Like, can that person be accountable at this point if they can't understand what happened, or why? You know, the consequences are what they are. So that kind of interplay between accountability and all these people who are now accountable for things that they, in ways that they can't control, or accountable but not. I can't understand what's, I, I just, yeah. that, that's the thing that I've been. That's the question, right? And I think that's what we're supposed to ask of the general, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sorry, uh, I'm old is not a good enough reason to let mm-hmm. someone escape justice. And mm-hmm. even if, uh, and, I, and I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to be combative to you specifically, Mary, because I think that oh, no, is one, one question that the movie is asking kind of of its audience. Just because he doesn't remember doing it doesn't undo all of the terrible shit that happened to exactly. all of the victims who are dead, all of the women who show up with their beautiful gold embroidered veils to mm-hmm. testify against him. Um, and there are mm-hmm. d- uh, at least a dozen of them in the in the courtroom that we even see. And I, yeah. I do think, though, that even on the level of of like uh, the the camera's gaze, where we as the audience are positioned as the judge, because when they're testifying, we're in the position where the judge would be in the courtroom. Same exactly. with um, same with uh, the general. That's why I think this movie is so great. I would compare it even to hereditary in the way that Mm. it's not so much heavily focused on the horrific elements um and the the sort of ghost story of it it's more of like 
dealing with the real monsters Mm -hmm. and how it's not just there's a monster in a closet there's a slasher movie a a crazy guy wants to kill you it's it's much more complex like when we're talking about Mm -hmm. his wife and how much accountability does she have how much has she turned a blind eye to at the end of the day she knew what was going on she just didn't want to deal with it until she literally had to deal with it well, and we have that moment, too, with her and her daughter sitting alone in, like, that, that gallery hall. And her daughter says, well, I don't think, when her mom says, well, they're, they're whores. And she says, I don't think, I don't understand how this many people would get together and lie about the exact same thing, like, the same way over and over. And then when he was caught, like, staring at Alma, and it, it, like physically made everyone have to deal with okay this is a problem and she said mm-hmm. um that your father has always had an eye for the the native women and then she said on the stairs in that moment she goes i never would have thought at this age i'm still dealing with this so she shows her whole yeah. ass that she knew she knew she just didn't want and, to know. You know you know what upset me about that sequence so much was that I was watching his face and I thought, I don't, I can't tell if he is sitting here staring because she is beautiful to him or if he is sitting here staring because he doesn't understand what's happening or where he, like he doesn't, like he's unaware. I like thought it just, was the latter. But I he's done so much terrible shit that everyone assumes that he's doing more terrible yeah. shit. Yeah. Exactly. And That's and exactly she attacked him when he was his most vulnerable, just like he did her. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, I can't feel bad for him. Like, no, you know, because that's the thing. We you talked about how the camera work puts us in this position of judge, right? Mm-hmm. To to make these calls. And so far, we've talked a lot about on this this very like intimate, direct connection kind of level, our relationships to these characters, our feelings about these characters. Yeah. And what this movie asks is even, and I think it does a great job of this too, and that we hear people's experiences, but actually seeing, we get to see throughout mm-hmm. the movie from, from moment one, how all of this conflict and tragedy plays out for this family. What unfolds very slowly and doesn't come into full focus until the closing moments of the entire movie is what this actually looks like and feels like a lived experience. Mm-hmm for the native families who are being eradicated or have been at this point eradicated at his hand. So the movie asks, are you willing to, are you able to, are you, will you even try to look past this kind of personal tragedy to weigh it against a greater tragedy, a, mm-hmm. a, a cultural tragedy, a tragedy that like, in, like shapes the identity of this country. He has Alzheimer's. An entire civilization has been all but wiped out. Right. Great points. <laughs> You're making a lot of good points. Um, he almost shoots his wife. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in his defense, she is being possessed by the spirit of La Llorona. So maybe the right call. But also he almost shot his wife. And he does shoot his granddaughter. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's something that is... I think can resonate on a personal level with a lot of viewers 
who have, you know, elderly or maybe not even elderly, just people who suffer dementia or PTSD or some sort of hallucinations where it's like, it's very hard to compartmentalize. Like this person who was very good to me is also horrible. And And I I think that's a, I think that's kind of a reckoning we're having right now, like as a country Mm -hmm. that um, someone can be personally good to me. Someone can even be personally good to a specific human while still being horrible yeah. to like a larger identity group to which that person belongs. Oh my God. Yeah. I, it's unpleasant how much of this feels relevant right yeah. now. The idea of communist being such a, such a, an insulting word as opposed to like a set of like political and economic beliefs. <laughs> like that's, that's how I think this runs best. And that's not, that shouldn't be yeah. the way it's treated in this movie. And in fact, in Guatemala, since, like, you know, um, Jairo, Jairo um, brr, Bustamante, excuse me, has has spoken about the fact that in Guatemala, it's it has become like just kind of like a catch-all insult for anyone who challenges status quo. You're not actually communist. It has nothing to do with your politics. It's just you want more equality. You want more transparency. You want more progressive policy. So you're a communist. Communist. And it sucks that a lot of that just feels right on the surface right now, that personal tragedy weighed against societal evil. Yeah, and I think particularly with, and I know that this is probably what we're all thinking, but uh, the very lax national protocol for COVID, and then Mm -hmm. our president got it, and now we're supposed to feel sorry for him. Mm-hmm. And we're bad if we don't feel sorry for him. Right. And it's just like, you know, you don't wish that on anyone. I, I don't wish that on anyone. But I'm also kind of like, well, I mean, yeah, you got sick. You weren't doing anything to prevent it. Like, you, <laughs> I mean. Yeah. The person of the world who should be least likely to contract it, like who has the best possible mechanisms in their life to prevent contracting it. Right. Also, that man has a hospital in his fucking basement. If they had to airlift him to Walter Reed, he was not fucking fine, y'all. No, and he also had access to way better medical care than anyone. We can go down this rabbit hole. We don't have to. I feel like probably with our listenership, they already know everything we're going to say about that. But I do feel like this um, made me think of that because it's like, oh, Oh, this terrible man, he's sick now. And it's like, Yeah. Yeah. That uh, be sure your sin will find you out. Like, well, I liked I liked that point you made earlier that you know even if a lot of what he's doing right now is fueled by by his his mental state due to Alzheimer's or by the fact that there's a straight up ghost like possessing his household and making shit right? happen. Even then, his family struggles with discerning what is what because well, he has course. done so much horrible shit yeah. that they're inclined to assume that he is cognizant when he's not, or they're inclined to assume he's behaving deliberately when he's not. Yeah. So, yeah. What else? What else creeped you out? Or sca- like, was there anything that actually like, was just like creepy or not, not these like deep feeling kind of stuff? Yeah. Let's get so to take it light, I, and this is one of my probably worst traits, but I love watching horror movies with people who don't like scary movies because they have such strong reactions and it is 
uh, just a damn delight to see that payoff happen in real time. And mm-hmm. uh, my boyfriend, he, he'll, he'll watch him with me, but he's he spooks real easy. We talked about he does the Muppet dance whenever he gets scared. So mm-hmm. the, moment, <laughs> the moment that Alma is on the top bunk and she drops her hair over, he I was mm-hmm. laying on the couch and he was like, no. And he like cuddled up against me like a little kid. That moment, I... I started screaming myself, and I watch horror movies all the time with y'all, and I was like, no, uh-uh, yeah. no, no. What I just, in, I just thought she was gonna, I just... the ring is happening right now, and the best part, the best part is that there's little, like, little, like, prophecies that happen, and, like, these little, like, fuck it, keep going. So when watching it the second time, and she, and um, the maid's brushing her hair. She goes, it's almost like this place is kind of haunted. So you should stay close to me so you won't be afraid. And I'm like watching it the second time going, no, she, she's going to pop out and stare at her, do the creepiest thing. Like, dude, no, I'm the See? one haunting this bitch. I be that witch of the woods. <laughs> I, Amazing. I am the one who knocks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I thought, see, she flipped over her hair like that. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah girl, you got to untangle those baby hairs at the back of your neck. Can't <laughs> get in the kitchen. Can't be getting that, can't be getting that accidental dreadlock. But can I tell no. you that I've actually read this article a long time ago, and I don't have it up because I only just thought about it now. About, I was just thinking, why is that so scary? And I remember someone saying, well, that was, that's kind of Tim Burton's style, is that with um, drawing that it's all kind of um, irregular and like kind mm. of like all over the place and that's why it has that spooky effect and hair obviously isn't like congruent and perfectly shaped it has like that spider mm-hmm. webby yeah. and that's why it's so scary oh yeah like, like an edward gory yeah so however um alma's hair is perfect like when she came into on the screen, I had the same reaction as Sada did. I was like, "Can I grow my hair long? Can I get a dress like that? I just want to be her so bad. She is so strikingly stunning." Mm-hmm. Is that why mm-hmm. it says in the outline in all capital letters, "aesthetic"? Yes, because <laughs> we all want to yes. be here. <laughs> what I wrote about Alma herself was aesthetic, my lord. She's she is beautiful and she she does embody the native aesthetic in a really um, compelling way and also there are these disturbing elements right like the, the weirdly perfect hair like it shouldn't it shouldn't quite like it should still be hair and it almost doesn't even seem like it, like she's a very Disney princess hair where like it looks like a like paintbrush animated, went on either side of her face yeah, like like the like the the animated princess hair yes. Yeah. Um, which is how we all got unrealistic goals based on the way Ariel's hair behaved underwater. Ugh, don't get me started but, about that. Or so, Jasmine's hair t- while flying in the sky. So, <laughs> her, her uh, mascara didn't even run. She's on a fucking magic carpet. <laughs> That's the magic, bitches. <laughs> Stop shitting on my carpet. That's twice I've referenced a magic carpet ride in this one episode. I mean... Like, Cinderella had to get the whole magic thing, but they were just... They were just naturally that 
beautiful. They were just naturally <laughs> that boss yeah. ass. Well, you know, they were born princesses, and she had to marry into it, so she's basically trash. I don't have some way of putting it. It's the way it is. <laughs> That's a callback um, to No Country for Old Men. <laughs> yeah, no, Cinderella, if you're listening, we're playing. You cool. You fine. But it's impossible to talk about the aesthetic of Alma as a character without discussing like the mythology of La Llorona. Because yeah, we kind need of, to do that. We need to unpack that. This kind of vengeful mother character, right? That I, I, whatever horrors I enact, whether I am living or I am a ghost, I am enacting on like in the name of my children or I am harming my children and then bound to to do penance for it, you know? It appears in cultures all over the world. India has the churel. Uh, Scotland has a version of this. Uh, obviously in Central America, we have Yolanda herself. Um, Medea in Greece. Trinidad has the churel. So there are some weird similarities. Culture to culture, the nature of how these women lose their children differs. Sometimes they're not murdering their children, they lose them and then they stick around to enact vengeance. Sometimes they kill their children and then they are trapped here to do penance or they lose their, or they kill their children and then they are trapped here to live with the horror and they go seeking more children, right? But the only way to have a child with them is to kill them because they're dead. Across a lot of these cultures, the bizarre, the, the two things that are most bizarre to me are not like story similarities, which you might expect, especially neighboring cultures, right? Or cultures that influence one another. It's this like kind of superficial aesthetic stuff that makes you go like, wait, what? Which are specifically the white dress and the long hair. Thirdly, a lot of these involve proximity to water and drowning. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And I kept seeing the white dress and the long hair pop up and I was like, what the actual fuck? Like, why would this, why would this manifest in Scotland and in India? Why would this manifest in Central America? And, like, what? What is happening? Um, and so here we're, we're dealing specifically with La Llorona, which in its most, most common and simplest form is a, a woman who is married to a wealthy man and has a lovely life and two beautiful children, but she sees her husband with another woman. And in a fit of rage, she drowns her children, at which point she is so horrified by her behavior, she drowns herself and then is doomed to walk the earth, seeking out other children and drowning them. So she does tend to be near water. She prefers to, she doesn't, this is not all exclusive, right? There are absolutely iterations in which she doesn't need to drown children. There are iterations in which, um, She's seeking them out in anger. There are iterations in which she is seeking them out in sorrow, right? She wants more children and she has to keep killing them. Yeah, one iteration that I've heard, and this is the only one I think that you haven't mentioned because you've been like shockingly thorough in the past like four minutes of telling us about this. So great work. Um, is that she drowned her children to keep them from starving to death. And mm -hmm. now, she, and then, and then drowned herself. And now she is a ghost because she did not want to have to do that. Right. So um, I've heard that part too. I can't mm -hmm. remember if that was directly uh, Yorona or if that was a Russian iteration. So the Chural in India is, is somewhat 
similar. Like okay. Trudeau across India, like province to like area to area, because India is a huge place with a billion different cultures within it, right? The, even the Trudeau like shift region to region. But in India, she is more typically, she's often someone who either her husband killed her children or she killed them to save them from her husband because he was abusive. So now she goes out seeking children to save them. You can also, it's a little bit of a stretch, but Setha in Beloved is somewhat an inversion of this myth. So that's what I'm saying. This, the story (laughs) of like dropped a novel title, which I will include in the show notes. If y'all want to look into that, because if you haven't read beloved, holy shit, you need to do it. Absolutely. So, so yeah, this, this, like this narrative of the woman who either loses or takes her own children and how that affects her. And, and the idea that that's what it would take to trap a woman as a ghost on earth is losing her children. Culture to culture, that's something we grapple with. Because, um, I mean, even 20 years ago, it seemed bizarre that, like, in the in the 80s, say, like, no, that was more than 20 years ago. I know, don't remind me. Yeah, if a woman's children died, nobody was investigating her first. It was unthinkable that women would kill their own children. And now that's the first person a detective is going to look at. So we've always had... Uh, a lot of questions about this. We've always been working this out mythologically. Well, it is so, it, it's so far something that goes outside the intuition that women are supposed to have, that it is very mm-hmm. upsetting. So it makes sense that there would be a lot of mythology around it because it's the exactly opposite thing that a mother is supposed to do mm-hmm. um, for whatever reason. I wanted to talk about... Um, if we're there in the outline, I, I wanted to talk about the folk song, which I think is how, I mean, that's how I was introduced to this um, mythology, was from the soundtrack of the movie Frida, directed by Julie Taymor and starring Salma Hayek, who is part Lebanese. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? Did you know that? Not you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the film, uh, I, I think it's Shavela Vargas, right? That's how you say her name? Yeah. Okay. Shavela Vargas, yeah. Yeah. She sings a version of La Llorona, which is haunting and amazing. And then I, I looked into it, and it turns out that she was assumed to have been a former lover of free, of the actual Frida, mm-hmm. which is very cool. Um, and I, I just... I was like singing along with the closing credits of this movie and I was like, oh no, this is not the same. Um, not even close. And if, cause they're so different, like they're the same lyrics, but one of them is like very upbeat and sort of something you'd hear on the boardwalk in San Antonio type thing. Salías del templo un día, llorona, cuando al pasar yo te vi. Hermoso huipil llevabas, llorona, que la virgen te crí. Hermoso huipil llevabas, llorona, que la virgen te crí. And the other is like the thing you'd hear in a smoky corner while you're talking to Tom Waits at a bar. No sé qué tienen las flores, llorona, las flores del campo santo. 
No sé qué tienen las flores, llorona, las flores del campo santo, que cuando las mueve el viento, llorona, parece que están llorando, que cuando las mueve el viento, llorona, parece que están llorando. Very cool. Something that I really loved about this particular movie, right, is that in the, the, the Mesoamerican iterations of this story are more so monstrous woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. They're more so a woman does a monstrous thing and is punished for it. Mm-hmm. And in this story, we have a woman monstrously wrong. Yes. Well, monstrous woman is a product of the patriarchy. Let's be honest about that. Right. Because okay. even Medea, like, we got a whole play. She had her reasons, okay? Where she, she don't already, like, she murders the kids, like, kind of, like, you know, like, it's... In it's fact, not okay, about you, just... not everything is about you, you little brat. Jason, Jason, <laughs> get out of here, Jason. Can I tell y'all, I was in a production of Medea in college that's actually written by Charles Ludlam. So he was uh, brilliant and hilarious and just, oh my God, playwright who reimagined a lot of stories through a, a queer lens, through the lens of, of drag specifically. So in this, in his version, Medea is intended to be played by a man in drag. And it's real, it's just, it gets wild. And it, even though on paper, it overall seems like the same story, um, the, his style of theater was just the, the, the kind of like the loudest, the most bizarre, the most fascinating thing you've ever seen like for example at the end of the play when you like wheel out the bring out the children like the corpses in our version they were watermelon that had been smashed like we saw them earlier in the play with like little faces stuck on them and then when you come back out they're like sliced up to be eaten and then like the chorus ate them like we were taking communion while jason is like screaming and crying and then we sang sisters are doing it for themselves and like stripped off our chorus robes like the white robes and I was like a sexy cop and someone else was a sexy construction worker. And the other girl was like a sexy something else. And then the nurse like was a, like ripped off her robes and she was in a giant vagina costume. I ate a whole personal watermelon today. Well, now you know it was someone's child. How do you feel? Hungry. Before we move on from mythology, is there anything else anyone would like to add or point out? Any parallels we can draw? Oh, yeah. Yorona is also a boogeyman figure to keep kids from going into water or any kind of drownable substance by themselves. Um, sort of like a don't go into the woods type of scenario, except for a lot, a lot, a lot of more disturbing. Um, but... You- you want to yeah. you want to hear a little folklore about a boogeyman from Trinidad? Mm-hmm. Um, so they're called twins, and my mom did tell us about them when we were kids one time, and it freaked us all out so bad she was like, "Never mind, <laughs> story." But they look like children, except they have no faces. Hate that, and they are naked. Nope. And their feet are backwards. No, I fucking hate this. Also, they wear big hats. No. That's it. That's all they're wearing. But um, they'll come, like, they'll lure children away and like play with them and stuff, but then like spirit them away completely. 
so it like it's like common you know knowledge for Trinidadians like don't shout your kid's name in public because then the Dwens will learn their name and they'll be able to call to them Mm-mm. like they might the kid might stumble onto them but if they know your kid's name they can come like lure them away I fucking hate that that's <laughs> terrible <laughs> yeah yeah we'll talk about Sukiyama some of the time some other time. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about Alma as a character, like just the aesthetic. I mean, I want to know what y'all feel about her, like various tactics for getting into this family. Like she she's just walked up to the of, door. But I mean, like she's capable of dream manipulation. <laughs> hypnosis. She's like, boom, I'm here. I'm in there. <laughs> I just mean like once she got there, like what is what is the convention here? Like she can just do everything ghosts can do, also everything hypnotists can do, also what? She can do every every just everything? Okay. I wasn't angry about it. I was just like, am I missing how many tactics am I missing? Like, okay. We know she is manipulating um Carmen's dreams. Right? Yeah. What else? Um, well, she is doing something weird to the mind of the general. Mm-hmm. We don't know exactly what he's hallucinating or dreaming or seeing for real, and neither does he. Um, mm-hmm. And she is also trying to rescue Sada by having her hold her breath a long time. Yeah. And asking her not to drown. Like, I understand, like, she naturally has, uh, like, takes a liking to Alma. Mm -hmm. Because, yes. But also, I think there is a little bit of... Mm-hmm. power happening there because mm-hmm. even though she seems really cool and like oh this trick we can hold your water your breath underwater i think that's definitely an influence like she definitely is using her ghostly yeah. powers if, because if she hadn't been like influencing her to do that then she wouldn't have been out in the pool at night like that with her dad, granddad's oxygen tank getting what the shot sada don't take his oxygen. I mean, take it, but he's your granddaddy. Don't take his. Do, do you guys remember in, sorry, what's the, um, it's my favorite one. Okay. Do you remember in the eyes of my mother when yeah. during like when she's <laughs> with, they're, they're doing this cutting open the, the animal head and then the dad mm-hmm. is walking away and you see him turn around and just stare at them for a moment before leaving she does that same spooky ass shit she take but only she's like doing something she takes this oxygen tank and she turns around she's just staring at him and like realizing this is a fucking this is a fucking problem this is a monster i don't know i thought maybe she was just straight up hypnotized that night like just like doing what Alma told her. That's in what her I love mind. about this movie is that it it could be it's a, a, like a, it could be a blend of both or it could go either mm-hmm. which way. Yeah, you know her name means soul. That's what the word Alma means is soul. Hmm. Almost, 
almost I mean, straight up ghost. Yeah, like it's pretty on the nose. It's pretty on the nose. It's also a common name. Like it's yeah. not, that was my grand. Actually, that was my grandmother's middle name. My dad's mom. Cool. I okay. So speaking of language and translation, I think that's a Latin name, isn't it? Like from Latin. Um, well, so no? it's Spanish, but yeah. Oh, okay, it's Spanish. Okay. Um, I thought it was really interesting to have this somewhat marketed to a predominantly English-speaking audience and still have two other languages happen. Like, you have Spanish and then most of the non-Indigenous characters don't speak. And I don't even know how to say the name of this language that they that the Indigenous characters speak. Are you going to look it up for me? Mm-hmm. I spelled it correctly, but I have no idea how to pronounce it. Where, you, um, where is it spelled? Show me. K-A-Q-C-H-I-K-E-L. This is Kakitel, but I'll double check. Okay. In fact, one of the guys at work was actually speaking this language the other day. Amazing. Um, not, he doesn't, it, it's, it's mostly, it's not like vibrantly, like you don't like learn this growing up unless you live sure. in a native community, but he knew like a handful of phrases. Well, I think that's super cool. And I loved also how, um, it was a class thing almost to which language you spoke. It identified you as working class or, um, or having money. And it was a big difference. And one of the most interesting characters to me was Valeriana Mm -hmm. because, um, she spoke both and she was trying to advocate for the servants being like, they're ready to leave. And, um, they were just so shitty to them. Like they're ungrateful. No, they don't want to work for someone who incited all this genocide. Like they don't want, and they, and there's a ghost there. Like they, like they were okay taking your money and now there's a ghost and bye. That's, that's what I felt like was the big move. Like they were like, I mean, he's paying us. He's going to die like very soon. Um, But when they said like, when he said like, I'm hearing a woman crying, I'm hearing a woman crying. They're all standing in a group and they're like, how close is she? Yep. Oh, she's near. Her. Okay, she's not near. And here. He's, we got I'm, time to I'm get hearing, out. He's hearing her right in his ear. Oh, okay, we're good. We're good for a minute. Okay. Yeah. But like, let's ask for our checks now and. And GTFO. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I I did love that, and well, I didn't love it, but I was definitely intrigued by it, and I thought it was a good storytelling move to have. Um, the general call Valeriana when he said, that's what's killing me. He called her. He did not call his wife. He did not call his legitimate daughter. He called her. Mm. Um, yeah. To, and she goes, oh, that's black magic. We're going to cleanse you and we're going to hold this seance to protect you. Um, and it does the exact opposite. And I, I really felt like normally I'd be like, this bitch did that shit on purpose, but I don't think she did. I think she was trying to appease those spirits and the spirits were like yeah we won't hurt you if you give us him and then carmen was like yeah. okay when, <laughs> i hate him i, I hate th- that motherfucker let's kill him <laughs> i kind of thought they were like um in that moment where he's like that's what's killing me and she's like oh it's black magic i kind of thought that they were almost maybe humoring each other i thought hmm. about, i was like oh it's black mold that actually can be killing him for sure well yeah if he already has magic yeah, when she was like, oh, it's magic, I was like, is she just kind of 
patronizing him because he may not understand. Um, well, it wasn't like just what it, the, is. it wasn't just the mold though. Like the wallpaper had been peeled back. Mm. There was other stuff happening in addition to the mold. For sure, I was just like, this is such a. This is again another moment where like you could read it in probably seven directions and all yeah. of them are rational. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I was still teaching because I would teach the shit out of this movie. I can't believe we never have talked about that handsome bodyguard dude, but dude, also, what is I there wrote to say? it down. I wrote down at the top of my paper, hot, hot bodyguard. They kept shouting for him. It took me a minute to get everyone's names because they didn't tend to address each other by name. If they were right. shouting a name, it's because the person was off camera. Right. And they didn't always show them. So like someone would walk into a room and be speaking and be like, yeah, what's up? And the other yeah. person will respond, but they weren't visible. So it took me a second to be like, oh, that's who he is. And I was like, well, he's, I mean, I don't know what's going on with this character. Or I really care all that much. He's just, he's good looking. That's nice. I have a theory. What? And this is answering one of your excellent questions before time. Okay. So under Natalia, you asked the question. So we all know what happened to her ex, right? So I didn't put it together until you asked, but I am 90% sure that that bodyguard killed him. Wait, the bodyguard guy specifically? I knew, I know yes. they, like he's gone missing. They took him out. But the yeah. bodyguard specifically? Tell me. Yeah. Where. Because he was like, you. no one knows the end. No one knows. Like, nobody would ever not feed into that gossip unless they knew. And they're I, like, I don't want to play I this game. I think that he knows, but I don't think he did it. I think he did it. You think he did it? Mm-hmm. I think that the general ordered it. And then that he did it. Um, but and she's he like definitely his best seems friend. Like He's like ghosts. by her side the whole time. I know. I think he is trying to get in. And I don't know. I don't know if that is science, but I just. Wait. That's what you got. That's, that was your read, you know? So when That you was my read. So when you said Natalia's ex, I didn't even, I didn't even realize that that was her name. Um. Yeah, I didn't realize that was her name either until I did process of elimination. Yeah, so I felt with Natalia, because when we said in the beginning, this isn't all about La Llorona. It's about, Mm -hmm. in this particular time, how she came to be during this time. Because I feel Mm. like when I was watching this movie, this this was about a lot of things. But I felt like it was grounded and centered with Natalia and her discovering the truth about her family. I think it was all of them coming to terms with the truth of it. But you're so centered with her through most of the time as she goes from the beginning, her daughter being like, what? Why are they saying bad things about daddy? Who? The Internet. And then all of these events kind of unfold and they affect everyone around her and that be, mm-hmm. that though that information isn't given us until later and so that's like a, something i really loved about this movie is that it does have all of these different dynamics but it's also sort of this family drama in the way when i mentioned earlier that remind me of hereditary is like this horrible thing that happened and it's centered around this 
terrible thing that this family is now having to deal with. Learning that your father, grandfather, husband has done all these things and now we have to deal with that. I just want to make sure that I understand. Go, go, why, do it. Why did they kill, or why is he missing? What do y'all think happened? Her husband? Yeah. Or ex-husband or baby daddy or whatever. He's a bad guy who was mean to her and hit people. Her, maybe the kid, I don't know. Why do you think that? Um, words that were spoken. Of all the people the general has so wrongfully hurt or killed, this guy actually sucked. Like, this might be one of those moments where he he did a horrifying thing because he loves his daughter and this man was hurt, like hurting her. One of the things was when he was on the couch and she was dis- she was discussing this with her father, the general. He said, he didn't love you. He didn't like you or something like, he said something like that. She asked him why he didn't like her, why, why the general didn't like her dad, her father of her child. And he said, I, no, he didn't like you. Don't get it mixed yeah. up. Yeah, I it backwards. Yeah. I didn't read that as abuse. There was something, it wasn't just that moment. There was something else she said about, I think it was when she was actually talking to her daughter. But for the life of me, I can't, I can't summon the, the phrase now. I just now. thought it was straight up racism. Until Mary brought that up too. I was like, yeah, he's definitely one of those missing people because of something like that. But it also doesn't make sense that he would do it to somebody so close to him. Like his. I also have no faith whatsoever that that man would ever have let his daughter marry an indigenous man. Well, it doesn't say that they were married. It says that it was, he was the father of her child. No, I mean, either way. I mean, I guess he might have done away with him if, like, specifically because she was involved with him and he was indigenous. But otherwise, I don't. I, I got the impression when when he said he doesn't, he didn't like you. It's one of those moments in the movie where he seems especially clear. Yeah, and he's being very truthful in that moment too, because then she asks him, "How do you know Valeriana?" And he goes, "You already know." Like he's very clear minded in that moment because he's he's admitting it without coming out and admitting it. He's like, you again, this is, this is ambiguous stuff. Like my, my read may be possibly right, but not like exclusively correct, you know, like, yeah, no, it might be the thing where we're supposed to kind of go with whatever we feel because it can be supported either way. But I, the reason I thought that that was the case, that the just racism was the case is because, um, Sada is in the window in that beautiful scene under the curtain with Alma and they're looking at the missing ad and then she's looking at someone out in the crowd and she says doesn't that look like him mm-hmm. and Alma's like yeah it looks like him and and then it's just like they just say they have uh, it's like they're saying a lot without saying anything really yeah um, right and I just assumed that that was his picture that they were talking about because, um, I don't know. I mean, I, it, it just seems like, okay, just real quick, as, right, I'm, not, I'm not sure how to phrase this question, but when 
I was a kid and I was with just my dad who was white and there was there were other women there I would always feel more inclined to talk to the woman of color because that was what I was used to family-wise if that makes sense yeah so I kind of got the idea that that was what what Sada was seeking in Alma um, was mm-hmm. like a, a part of her culture that she did not have without her dad there. And I could be yeah. totally projecting that onto this movie. <laughs> I definitely could be doing that. But it seemed like that's one reason why she was so drawn to her. And and, and also just the fact that she's so fucking cool and beautiful yeah. and self-possessed. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess, never, <laughs> I guess that the class divide was so distinct and... It seems like the, the way the narrative progresses, it seems like um, Natalia is only first, only just now considering that her dad might actually be the person everyone says he is. That made me think like, well, she would never have, like, where would she even have met an indigenous man that she would have gotten involved with, you know, like that she, it would never even have occurred to her either that she has absorbed all of this all of this racism herself. And even if she's not the kind of virulent racist who is hunting down people to murder them, it does seem like this is all new thought for her and new feeling for her. Well, yeah, she definitely has some like subconscious racism because even when Sada's like, well, she was telling me about her children. She's like, oh, two kids already. Native people have so many babies so early. Mm Mm-hmm. I wrote down right. "fuck you" uh, when I wrote that quote down. Yeah, no, I. So, yeah, <laughs> so I, I. That's not nice. No, yeah. and I. So that, that's the kind of stuff that gave me the impression that like, it it would never occur to her to be involved with a native man for any reason that she doesn't. She's only just starting to consider that that indigenous people are people. Well, I think people could still have like like romantic partners who are of a different race, but are still somewhat racist themselves without realizing. Oh yeah. Very much so. Very much so. I'd just say this particular character gave me the impression that she didn't. Yeah. That, that, that would, that would, that's certainly possible. Like the way you're describing it, I I buy it. I just, it, it, not only did it not occur to me, it seemed antithetical. It, It just seemed antithetical to me. But as you're as you're making your case now, I'm like, well, damn, I guess we have to watch it seven more times. You know? <laughs> or it's just like a plot hole and those can exist even in very good movies. And so. they can also be somewhat deliberate. Like this isn't a thing you need to have answered. In fact, asking the questions is more interesting than having the answer. One thing that I felt made him such a good villain is not only like, is it like really complex with his condition that he's having, but... In, in the way that his condition keeps him permanently that monster. Because sometimes he doesn't, like we were, you were saying earlier, Mary, that he doesn't, he may not realize the position that he's in and what he's saying at this moment. He's just mm-hmm. saying things that he probably said in the past. Um, but that keeps him in that monster role. And so... There's and then there's also moments where I feel like he is still clear minded and saying certain things like in that scene when they were smoking the cigars and he was like, 
very like a general. He was saying, we're going to wear like these shirts. We're going to do this. And that Get one ready man, for court. Yeah. And he, and that one guy was talking about like, well, this is basically a death sentence at, at this age. And he said, old age has made you a coward. So he's, he's realizing the situation and still saying, I'm going to go into this like the general that I yeah. am. Well, and that's, at that point, he may already have some symptoms, but they they remark that's the that's before the trial and everything. Yeah, and they remark that the trial itself and all that stuff has such an impact on him that the stress is accelerating the condition. So that makes perfect sense. Like I think at the beginning of the movie, that's as much as we are going to get of seeing the general as what he would consider to be his best self. I think he is still a stone cold son of a bitch. Yeah. And he is definitely amping up the his illness. He is sick and still a son of a bitch. And I just he he even defends that he was he was creating a national identity. That is some yeah. Nazi shit right yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, that's a thing you don't say publicly. I mean, unless it's twenty twenty and you're a, a white man with a microphone apparently and then you say it a bunch of times different ways different phrasing so i'm sorry white men unless you're certain white guys i'm sorry i figure if you're listening to this show you know what's up you know us you know us right right you know us you get it you get it (laughs) right if you're listening to this show you know we're not talking about you you know you're not included in the shitty ones if you're listening to us, there's no way. There's just no way you're a piece of shit. <laughs> you would find us so tiresome. You would find us insufferable. You would find us vulgar and disrespectful. Check. check. We are both of those things. We but are also- old, dark, and jammy. <laughs> so while we're talking about men, there is one thing I one part of this I wanted to talk about is that it's you see all these men these very powerful men smoking their cigars bemoaning the fact that they could possibly now have to be responsible for their crimes and scared shitless about it and the women are literally in the other room chanting their fucking hearts out like yeah she they're 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 chanting for something good for this evil man but at but if you look at the difference between them, the women are actually doing something. And then throughout the movie, the men are just like coming out with their guns blazing, not really doing shit. It's always the women, like first responders on the scene every time. Ugh, there's so many good scenes with just women, like on the staircase. There's the ending where they're all like hug- hugging each other. I love it. You're exactly right. Continue. Keep going forever. You know, these men are like scared shitless from, you know, oh, I might have to go to jail now for the rest of my life. And this woman who went through like the most traumatizing shit is up there testifying with the others saying i'm not embarrassed to talk about what happened to me and i'm like and i hope you're not embarrassed to do justice i loved that call out i love it and you know what the motherfucking lawyer said not only did he not do it there never was a genocide yeah of course not how could there be where is everyone at then 
For a genocide, everyone would have to be dead, and they're just missing, Mary Kay. Well, did y'all investigate into that? Something tells me that you did not. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that assessment, but they didn't ask me. Well, as we learned from Wind River, there is no statistic for indigenous women going missing. So I thought for a closer, um, I might tell you guys about the Sukiyan, since uh, Mary Kay loved hearing about the Duane so much. Fuck you. I hate this. No, no. You're going to like it. You're going to like it a lot. <laughs> Unlike the twin, you're going to like it a lot. So the Sukiyan appears as a beautiful woman. In some versions, she sea just witch. appears as a beautiful. She just appears as a beautiful woman. In some versions, she seems to be a beautiful, like a very shapely woman, but she wears a veil so you can't see her face. But she lures a man away. So far, I'm with it. You're right. And then consumes <laughs> his blood. She needs to drink oh, no, blood. No. To exist. And by night, when she doesn't need to be in her hot lady form, she flies around the sky as a ball of fire. Love it. Love that. I'm back in. Mm-hmm. So the way to protect yourself from the Sukiyan coming and, and sucking your blood in the night is to put rice outside your door, just like loose rice. Because she'll like count it and shit. Um, anyway, but like, yeah, the, that's common. Like you wake up with bruises you didn't have a day before. Like that was a Sukiyan. Like, you got that bruise because she was drinking your blood. You but should have yeah. left her a snack. Hot vamp. Well, she's not eating the rice. She has to count it. Oh, well, it's still a snack. That's <laughs> true. Even if she doesn't um, eat it. And Yeah, so anyway, hot, blood-sucking woman, ball of fire, will fuck you up if you don't play nice. Love I it. thought you'd like that. I thought you'd like that. I After I it. messed you up with the twin. The twins, though, are for real, like... Fuck that shit. Absolutely not. That would have scared me as a kid. It scares me as a grown-ass woman. Oh, no. I had another point I just remembered. Remember when I choked? That was the point I was going to make. Um, so Valeriana is very literally in the position of the protagonist from my book, Jane, um, in that she, except for she's more entitled to being in the upper class because she is a biological child of of the general um but she's hired on instead as it looks like an indentured servant i mean that's kind of what it looks like um but she she goes to bat for him because i don't really understand it like i don't i just i i could have seen her being i could have seen her being la llorona for being like motherfucker you you did you made me and now you're gonna put me in this situation, but nope, she's she's a real one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so in conclusion, by my book, it is called America's First Female Serial Killer. We will link to it in the show notes. Um and if you already have your copy, buy it for a friend. It's spooky season and they will enjoy it probably. Should I tell y'all about what we're doing next? Yes. Yes. So, listeners, we are about to turn three. It is almost our third birthday. On Halloween, it will be our third birthday. And we're going to have a little birthday party for us and you in a mini episode. Because... um, One of our favorite episodes that we recorded was about scary stories to tell in the dark. We have each 
well, we drew names, first of all, so you don't have to listen to like nine different things. But um, so we, we did a round robin. We're going to do a gift exchange. And we also wrote scary stories for each other to read to y'all because we're all writers. And that's what's going to happen next episode, our mini episode. And I'm so ready that's not true. I just sent Mary's gift today, but I'm really excited. That's what I meant by ready. I'm excited for it. It's going to be wonderful. Me too. So we're looking forward to our birthday celebrations with y'all. And buy Mary Kay's book and subscribe to the show and follow us on social media. We and have Instagram. We have Twitter. Tell your friends. Please get them to listen. We love y'all. And we'll talk to you soon. Love you. Bye. Yeah, love you. Bye. Hi, I'm Michelle Veray. And I'm Kimberly Trung, and we are the host of Crush Fictionally, a podcast all about your favorite fictional characters from movies, TV shows, and more. Each episode, we pick a theme, curate a list of characters that we love, why we love them, and some fun facts about the people who created them. So if you've ever felt a true connection with a fictional character, tune in to Crush Fictionally on Campfire Media or wherever you find your podcast. Campfire.